Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoiseshack podcast. This is a great deep dive investigation you may have seen by Noteworthy.ie or the journal.ie, depending on where you saw it. Uh, I spoke to two journalists behind it and we get stuck into lobbying, transparency and how it works in a functioning democracy. Or maybe how it doesn't work. I'm rattling the bucket. Of course I'm rattling the bucket. We need your support. We need you to dig deep and keep this podcast ad-free and available to everyone. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise The link is right there in the podcast you're listening to. While you're having a listen, see if there's a level there that you're comfortable enough to help us keep the show on the road. And you get tons of additional content. There is a lot of stuff coming out this week, including uh, a conversation we're about to have this afternoon with actor Liam Cunningham. So that'll be out as quickly as I can turn it around. And uh, Rory had a great chat with Rick O'Shea uh, on books that he loves in terms of societal change. So that's an interesting one that maybe people wouldn't be expecting us to cover. But I think... It's a great fit, given Rory just launched his own book, Gaffs, which is available in all good bookstores now. Uh, That's enough of that, but please do have a look at the Patreon link. It makes all the difference to us. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for sharing, and I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves, and we are back discussing something that we have kind of wanted to get in depth on and something that uh, you know uh, people who follow me on social media will know I give out about the lobbying register and then I sing its praises but it is something that not just in Ireland but in the EU and obviously we we hear about you know we continue hearing US news cycles the issue of lobbyists but what what they don't really tell you is that there's more lobbyists active in the European Parliament than there are in Washington DC so and we are far from immune in Leinster House, and this is going to come right out when I when I get into the meat of today's topic, because I've got two journalists with me who've done some terrific work. But before I go there, I'm sorry, I have to do the housekeeping. Um, next Friday, the 18th, we are live in Ballymun. Uh, it is part of the Bally, Ballymun Wellfest. We are going to be headlining the Friday night show in the Axis Theatre, a lovely theatre. Come along. Tickets are the bloody cheapest chips. I think it's like 14 quid or tenner if you remember. And uh, they're available right now on eventbrite.ie. Come along. Uh, uh, Martin hopefully will be there. Rory will be there. I'm going to be there. Do not let that put you off. Uh, and I hope that we will all have a terrific evening. We have some special guests, but I don't want to let the cat out of the bag on that just yet. Anyway, enough um, of that. I am, as I said, delighted to be joined on the podcast for first-time uh, contributors, Cormac Fitzgerald and Steve McDermott of The Journal. Uh, this Listeners will be well aware that we've done a lot with Noteworthy over the last couple of years in terms of the, the work that the guys do in crowdfunding it. And this is a noteworthy investigation. Uh, and I'm going to go straight to you, Cormac, if you don't mind. It's about the bane, as I said, of lobbying. So do you want to give listeners a sort of the context of why you were doing this, the lobbying as it, as it takes place in Ireland and why you decided this investigation was important? Yeah. Right, thanks for having us on, uh, Tony. Yeah, so we started looking into this a few months ago, I guess. I think the noteworthy proposal came from a few years ago, revolving door, when there was um, a lot of controversy in the media about a, a, a certain former minister of state um, getting a job for a, for a, a, an organisation. After that, and I think that's when the proposal first, uh, yeah, was kind of devised, and then it, it's kind of been a while, I suppose, gathering the, the yeah. requisite funding and stuff. But we kicked it off. Um, so lobbying, I guess, is uh, yeah, you know, everyone lobbies, I suppose. You know, it's a it's a the way um, it's described as, as something that's kind of a necessary for functioning of um, government, you know, or democracy or whatever. People give their views to uh, 
to government and then they can use, then use those views to, to make laws mm. for people. So that's, that's the kind of, the, the line of lobbying. Um, it kind of, it can tend to have a bit of a, I don't know, it'd be a bit of a dirty word sometimes for some people. I suppose going back to the register or the, the founding of the register. Um, if you remember back in all the way back to 2011, let's say, and the, the program for government, um, the Fine Gael and Labour, it was kind of on the back of the Moriarty and Mahan tribunals, which you all remember, the yeah. financial collapse, the uh, massive recession that caused, the banking guarantee, and there was the, the smell of change in the air, you know, they, the, and the, and the Kenny had kind of risen to power on the basis of we're going to do things differently then. Mm-hmm. And then so, uh, in the 2011 program for government, then there was a commitment to uh, uh, here it's to introduce a statutory register of lobbyists and rules concerning the practice of lobbying. So that was in the 2011 program for government. Fast forward four years later, didn't exactly get done straight away mm-hmm. to March 2015, and the regulation of uh, lobbying act was passed. So the purpose of the act was to kind of. Um, I suppose it set up this lobbying register uh, so that people could see who is lobbying, um, who they're lobbying for, what they're lobbying about, who is being lobbied. And SIPO will be the regulator of this, the stand- standards in public office. I'm sure uh, we'll come to them, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there would basically be this online register of lobbying where um, if you were a lobbyist, if you were engaged in, I think the rules are, if you were engaged in communications with a public official, what's known for the purposes of the act as a designated public official or DPO, mm. that could be a TD, a minister, a councillor, senior civil servant, you know. It, could be, it can be, it can be people from civil, civil society, if, depending on, on what role they fulfill as well. It's, but, but I suppose, I suppose the, the lobbying register itself, Again, I won't lie. You know, people who follow me on Twitter will know. I go in, I look at it, I see what's happened, I post these things and show very clear enough. So, so it can work. It works in parts. Yeah, the register. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when it was first brought in, I think uh, it it kind of internationally was seen as a very, very progressive thing. You know, to mm. have. I mean, like lobbying has been something that's been going on for ages, and mm. if talking about previous governments, you wouldn't even know who is talking to who and what they're talking about, and suddenly laws are being formed. The idea, the transparency of it, something that Transparency uh, International Ireland had been calling for for years, was quite, you know, very laudable at the time. You know. Mm. Whether it has lived up to those, um, you know, expectations set for it or those plaudits is kind of remains. We might go to that, on, Stevie, because you started this at the, the the first article on the thing is called Revolving Door. Okay, you referred Cormac. You referred to a if it was a, a Finnegale member, minister for state. Then there was a Finnegale senator. Uh, who also resigned his seat and went to work for the funds that he'd advocated for. I think it was only 30 days previously and he took up a role in, in the fund. And we talk about that revolving door. Steve, you might give us the, 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 the guts of, of like that kind of, I was going to say perception, but it's not a perception. No, I, this, this kind of investigation between myself and Cormac, noteworthy had proposed it and I'd been working separately in the journal on a piece about, I had done a freedom of information request to SIPO on, uh, trying to find out. So if someone is working as one of these, as Cormac described them, DPOs, designated public officials, mm. they're required under law after they leave that DPO role under a, a, a certain section of the Lobbying Act, Section 22. Um, if they're a certain high-level DPO, they have to have a one-year cooling-off period between being in that DPO role and then becoming a lobbyist. And there's all, all sorts of certain rules around that. <clears throat> and every year in its annual report, SIPO says, you know, eight people applied this year to become a, or for a, what's called a cooling off or an exemption to the cooling off, I should say. Uh, so you can, you, you can apply if you're, I don't know, uh, it's a changeover in government or something like that or a change in circumstances. Someone wants to, uh, 
you know, move jobs, be able to pay the bills and mm. say, okay, I'm going to become a lobbyist. I mean, that, that seems, you know, fair enough. I mean, but- I, mean, I mean, we should be allowed to have freedom to, to, you know, apply for jobs and do and work where you need to work. It's about the transparency. Part. Exactly. And, and, and so, and so, uh, yeah, as I was saying, the sort of this investigation came about because SIPO in those reports only names, you know, the, the, the or only says the number of people. It doesn't actually say mm. who these, who these people were. And you can kind of, you know, I, I, I tried to FOI who the individuals were and SIPO refuses. So I said, right, is there any way to go about digging into this and finding out? And, 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 and that's how I suppose this came about. Isn't it interesting though? We keep using the word lobbyist in the course of the investigation. And I didn't, didn't uh, put this to either of you before. Um, several people who I know are lobbyists insist on being called consultants. Um, and there's a, there's, there's a, there's, it seems to be a legal reason for that. Did, did you come across that at all? Not really the legal aspect of it. No. Just, just, the, just the, the clarification up, upon, you know, what it means for their ability to access, uh, the, 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 the people who maybe they have come in contact with throughout their careers and then they can refer to themselves as a consultant in that capacity. And I mean, Jared Howland sat in this very room. And insisted that while he was appearing on the lobbying register that he was a consultant, you know. So, so I've been down that road with with, with this and, and and the differences it can make to to how things appear. Going back to the the, the register, it doesn't capture everything. It's it, there's there are there are um, there's lobbying that goes on. And again, I can we can speak to facts, so we can speak to. Uh, a former Finnegale TD who lobbied former colleagues of theirs, and some of them registered as lobbying, and some of them didn't. Yeah. And there, those discrepancies come across many in many areas. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of thing we're pointed out about the you know you have these lofty ambitions, but whether they're recorded, like what we didn't pick up in our investigation. Um, we actually spoke to a good few former, uh, say, special advisors, mm. former these DPOs, with problems they had with the you know the lobbying register itself. And something that comes up quite frequently is that, you know, you, if people are lobbying, you know, if someone might meet someone in a pub, they might meet, might, might meet them, you know, mm. uh, you know, out on the street and they might have a quiet word with them. That's not going to get registered. And there's no way of knowing how often that happens or if it happens or how frequently. And that's something that's not captured at all. What we were looking at was stuff that, you know, people basically declare themselves, you know, so mm. people are already saying that they're involved in this lobbying. We can see that. But like you said, there's a lot of things that can capture what might be lobbying for one person isn't lobbying for the other. Like, if you think about the register since 2015, what is it now? There's like something like 71,000 individual returns. I mean, it's hard to police that. Like, there's a, it's a self-policing thing. And then that, they're the returns that are made, never mind the returns that aren't made, mm. that you're trying to, that, say, uh, you know, a potentially under-resourced SIPO uh, mightn't be able to follow up on, you know. So there's, you know, there's a lot that goes on that you, you can't quite get. You, you, you say it's self-policing, but actually the other th- aspect of it is that self-reporting as well. Yeah. So, mm. like, if I decide, I, okay, well, I, I have to file a return because Steve McDermott is lobbying Tony Groves and mm. so says Steve McDermott was lobbying Tony Groves, but actually... Cormac Fitzgerald might be like, well, I've also lobbied Tony Groves, but maybe that's not lobbying. I don't know if that counts as lobbying, so I'm not going to say. But like, how do you... But then if I decide to add add that that I've met both of you, yeah. it then becomes a problem as well, because, yeah. you know, because th- that has happened on, on as well. And there's like a thing as well about, you know, if you hit, if someone, if you're asking for something on social media, if you're tweeting at someone, like, mm. is that lobbying? You yeah. Know? And then the rules around that can be kind of... Well, I, I'd like to, again, putting on my financial services had, we used to deal with politically exposed people, PEPs. 
And if they came in and they were of a certain category, you had to take more, you had to take much more diligence to the, to the point where you're taking minutes and you wanted to record what was done. They could be just looking for a bloody credit card, but they were a politically exposed person and you needed to go take these extra steps. So I, I, again, maybe there is an argument that this is onerous, but it's the stuff that exists in that gray zone that you guys have gotten into the meat of. I'm going to come particularly to the construction industry because obviously that's where business is nowadays. We're, we're, we're in the, we're in the, the, the gist of it. And we, we talk about, you know, the lobbying that goes on. And I, I, I don't know if you guys are aware, but we already have some of the highest, heaviestly subsidized construction developer uh, led projects in the OECD. And I put it, you know, looking at the numbers because they're very, the number, the highest people are lobbying are from this industry. Yeah, that was um, one of the other articles I was working on, um, the construction network, which is kind of a separate but aligned um, to, to the revolving door. It's interesting. Yeah. Some of, like some of the big, the biggest lobbyist organization in Ireland is IBEC, you know, which mm-hmm. obviously has a huge remit across all of business. Um, in relation to construction, that's property industry. Ireland is there. Um, I think construction industry federation are up there. Um, yeah, high up enough, but the, the biggest lobbyist apart from my back then though is the, the farming, you know, the Irish Farmers Association, Macron Firm and the Irish Milk and Creamery Suppliers Association. They're all on the top, but construction, uh, is up there as, as kind of a, uh, key lobbyist. Hmm. What I was focusing on particularly in that article was around judicial reviews, which is obviously a, you know, a, a big thing that's in the. Can we the park that for a moment? Because yeah. I do want to come back to it, but I just, I just want to try and give listeners an idea that, that the, like you said IBEC, but then there's construction industry federation. There's the likes of Heinz. There's the likes of IRS REIT. There's, you can go down the list and it actually reads like a list of people I've received legal letters from. <laughs> Fun. And that I'm joking, but you know, like Heinz, if you're listening, I don't want another legal letter. Sorry. Okay. But, this is the this is the reality um and and it just it's just to give that sense of that this is what actually happens and they are actively litigious and they're and they're dedicated to that and that brings me back to you stevie i'm sorry now to to jump but it's important that people understand that the the organizations that they use are successful because they're politically connected and you've shown that in terms of the the number of people who've gone through that revolving door uh, I think we made the joke every at the end of every election we make the joke of saying who's going to walk that well-worn carpet um, one is going to go from maybe a political correspondent to a special advisor and a special advisor into the role of a lobbyist do you want to give us just a sense of some of the things that you've seen because I do while it's not shocking it's still really great to see it outlined in so much depth you have to read the article folks yeah so we looked tried to in trying to find like I said like the the, the, the names of people who were uh, had, had, like you say, jumped from one to the other. And so we went back through like 11 years of PQs and like we looked at any time a special advisor is, uh, appointed to a minister or the, or the Taoiseach, you have to sign a new statutory instrument so you can find names and that and their name, their names are within them. And we ran all these num, these names through the lobbying register and found that, uh, since 2015, which was the year that the lobbying regulations came in, uh, 86 people who held senior positions in government had become lobbyists and 62 of those were special advisors. Um, so like it's, it's quite a lot. Like what it's a, a hit rate. Yeah. Like, like when you consider, I guess, look, you know, governments have changed a couple of times since then. And, um, uh, you know, s- some people are s- still, um, special advisors, but I think there's, I think there's just over 50 special advisors in the c- current government. So uh, again, a lot of those would have been special advisors in former governments and a lot mm-hmm. of them will continue to be special advisors in subsequent governments. But you think like, 
if every special advisor in the current government went went to became a lobbyist, that still doesn't meet that number that has been there since 2015. So it's a lot. Like, no, it's phenomenal actually because uh, we're not picking on individuals here. That's not what we're here to do. But we are going to talk like in realistic terms. We can all recall the the crash, and we were told, you know, the what was happening around special advisors and how they were going to set a seal and what they'd be paid. We remember Ed Brophy had that um, an exception made when when he became John John Bruton's um, special advisor. Labour left government. He then moved to to Finnegale. He then set up Tier Connell, and then he now he's gone on to Amazon. It is a really like that. These are just facts, and when you see the influence that the, that that you can have within this and and how it happens, there's a very live one recently where we've all seen it. We we sat back and you you can it's and it's a, it's an example of the success of the lobbying register where a former Finnegal TD Noel Rock set up his his company Pixel. He lobbied on behalf of a drone company. It's clear he lobbied Leo Varadkar several times. Only if you and then if six weeks ago or whatever it was, Leo Varadkar launches the drone company's business into Balbriggan. It's not wrong to say that, but it is something that tells the public how things work. And companies like Hume Brophy, where, where where you see the amount of times they've had access, and this is what we know of. It does it does it not ask a question of like just how easy what just how open is the door they're pushing on. Yeah, like there's, it, 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 you kind of can't see that pattern. And like, I guess one of the other things that we saw a little bit as well was like a former special advisor might have gone into the private sector, or, you know, an NGO or somewhere like that, and then came back into government subsequently after that. Um, you know, we, 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 we found a couple of individuals who there was kind of a, like a bit of a, a bit of a blurry line from when they actually stopped working for government and started, like if they were, say, independent contractors who were, came in as, a communications type person for the government, and then yeah. continue, continue, continue with the lobbying group. You know, there's, there, there, there is a bit of a, like I said, like a blurry line, and that is why the the, the, the escalation was called revolving but what, door. But what did this, what did the advisors you spoke to? How did what did they think of it? Uh, Former so, special advisors, yeah. So like, th- th- uh, there, there was a couple, and uh, you know, uh, like I guess first of all, like. Uh, as you find to emphasize, like there's there's nothing wrong with doing that, and mm. and people you know need al- alternative forms of employment. You know, if, if someone is so like you know, I I know not not someone we spoke to this article. Like I know an, an individual who used to work as a special advisor for a minister, and the minister was like resigned, mm. and that person is then like overnight, you know, like a, a political controversy could bubble up over the course of a week, and then that person is immediately out Absolutely. of a job. And, 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 and I don't think we're being critical here of that. I'm saying in a, in a marketplace. You got to get paid. Mm. You got to earn a living. We're not being critical here of that. We're just, I'm just want to try to get a sense of how do they feel? Because, you know, it, it, when the numbers that you've quoted, it's, it, it's kind of irrefutable that it's almost a career progression. Yeah. Well, like, well, well, say one, one person we spoke to, um, suggested that, um, like al- almost that, uh, special voices don't have as much, like, power or sway as we give them credit for, you know, mm. and, 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 you know, I guess there's a perception there that um, special advisors like can walk into Lensner House anytime they want and immediately start talking to TD, and that probably isn't mm. the case. It's, it's you know, it's not just like oh, like I have this magic fob that lets mm. me into the doors of Lensner House, like and lobby TDs, and almost you know, 
I guess there was a sense that like they feel it's I, I wouldn't use the word punish, but that they feel like there's a, a hyper focus on these people. Like they ha- look, they have close relationships with ministers, are working yeah. very closely with them over time. But actually, there's more senior civil servants who might actually have a bit more sway that the lobbying reg- like regulations and members don't cover. Of, and, and members of NGOs and members of the likes of maybe it's a, an approved housing body or whatever situation. I'm I'm you know I'm not trying. I am picking on them, but I'm not trying to. Yeah, one yeah. one 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 person who I was talking to kind of over the course of the investigation was sending me. Examples again. I won't name names of you know mm. other say uh, they weren't they weren't even in, within departments, but other aspects of the civil service uh, yeah. who moved into the private sector where there's no cooling off periods. So you've got someone who's like you know work who's working at a high level in in in, in a um uh, like a, a semi state or or, or a yeah. big state role who's going to move to like say a, quite a you know a consultancy firm or somewhere like that. And there's absolutely no rules and regulations around that. But as soon as you're within a department or you're working closely with the minister. You know, it's like, well, we have to draw a line here. You know, it, it, it kind of seems like a bit of an anomaly or something. So, Cormac, I know you wanted to say something there. Yeah. What was I going to say again? Ah. Um, just about special advisors in general, I suppose. It's like, it's an interesting role, isn't it? Because yeah. they're hired directly. They're like, they're kind of civil servants. There's an interesting, um, really good paper, which I don't know if we referenced in the article, by the UL uh, academic Bernadette. Con- Bernadette Connington. Yeah. Connington. Yeah. Who mm. talks about the role of the special advisor. And, uh, you know how they're they, they're basically um, senior like senior civil servants who are employed directly by government, but that they don't they don't have any job security. They don't have the they don't have the they don't have the the, like the bells the, and whistles of being a senior civil servant. The, you know the the complete job security, which is obviously important to a lot of people, maybe not all of us, but <laughs> that that lifelong career progression of it. So. Oh no, I've managed to crash several careers. So yeah, exactly. you know, so. You're doing great with the podcast. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Subscribe. Yeah, but but no, I think like you've raised we've we've touched on this, but the issue, I suppose. As always, has been put to me. I, I again, I'm gonna give myself, um, uh, expose myself here. On I, when we were on the ground, when the global financial crisis hit and the things were deve- going really badly, we came up with the code of conduct under, under mortgage arrears. I was in and out of um, down to College Green and all these places as as someone who was involved, and we were trying to develop the the SFS. If you remember the standard financial statement where you could do all these things, and I remember meeting, um. A former minister, an MEP, and I, and I was talking about, you know, trying to do this. And someone said to me, what gives you, where do you get access? And I just thought, oh, I hadn't thought of that. I thought I was lending my, my voice and, you know, um, but I wasn't, I was actually, you know, so it, it is, it is a difficult, it's a difficult sort of square to circle where, where does, I suppose this phrase I often hear or use, I don't know who I stole it from. Unfortunately, I've, I've stolen it now. It's that, um, it's, uh, persuasion, uh, no, propaganda is what my opponent does. Persuasion is what I do. Mm. Okay. So, you know, you might, you might not think of it as lobbying, but it is lobbying. And it's interesting too. I think, um, I think this is the point I'm remembering now. It's like when we we're talking to Mairead Farrell and John Devitt, actually, mm. of, um, Transparency, Transparency yeah. International Ireland, who, you know, they, TII, they were integral with getting these rules in in the first place and they do great work around increased public accountability and that they were talking that it's not, you know, from what we revealed in our, in our article, it's like, no, there's not, you know, there's no rules being broken. No one's doing anything wrong. You know, it's more or less completely within the letter, you know, with the exception maybe of two individuals you may mention in the article, but mm. they were saying that it's like the perception, you know, it's, it's important to have transparency in public life. It's important that 
everyone is seen to have equal access, like you're saying, to a minister or to a lady. But it's also important that there's the perception of it, you know? Like, there's this kind of, tends to be this idea, it's like, oh, everyone knows, you know, or no one really knows what goes beyond. Like, you know, people need to have faith in their institutions. But we can have that faith, and Stevie, even if you have that faith and it goes wrong, Sippo. <laughs> yeah. It, Sippo have not covered themselves in glory on this, and we've had, like, I'm not speaking out of school, actively. We have a situation whereby Martin McMahon of, of the Tortoise Shack took a, t- took a thing to Sibbo, what was said about him, and Sibbo went, yes, you're correct. That's the end of that. <laughs> you yeah. know, there do- it doesn't seem to be... No, the, like, the, the, like the resources aren't there, and, and, and uh, like, I, I, it's funny, like, in one sense, I think you're, like, you're probably right in that it's like, yeah, like, like that Sibbo may, may not be able to raise themselves, but, like, also you kind of got to look wider than that and go well like they're not being resourced mm. you know and i agree that's and that's and that's and that's that's i'd say that's quite you know a convenient tr- you know truth for a, a lot of people who find themselves maybe maybe who would be in the crosshairs of sippo where it's mm. like well we we actually can't necessarily do anything to, to investigate it. we don't we don't have these powers we, there's not regulations there that we can really really do anything about this like Cormac, you've done a bit of work on what they they actually can do like the, you know the amount of um Finds the issue each year, but like that's it, you know. It's like it's only, yeah, it, it only seems Cor- to be that. Cor- 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 I mean, give us an but like, here. you know, just to, yeah, like on that, you know, we're talking about the the one year cooling off period, yeah. you know, and that's what we talked about this in the article. So, like, there's a law, there's section 22, which prohibits certain high levels, former special advisors, ministers, um, really senior civil servants, sec gens, and assistant sec gens. They can't lobby within a year, right? Like, mm. they're that's the you know, that's in the law, that's in the regulation of lobbying. But if they do, actually nothing happens yeah <laughs> there's actually you know oh you're not supposed to do that like you know so you have this part in the law that's enshrined in law that you're not allowed you, you need to follow you can't breach this cooling off period but if you do happen to breach the cooling off period well Sippo can't do anything what Sippo can do is if you are a day late filing your return you know so mm. uh, under the lobbying act people uh people have uh, lobbyists have to file three yearly returns so at the end of every four month period mm. They have to fo- they have to say who they've been lobbying. Even if they haven't lobbied, if they're registered, they need to file a nil return. And Sippo, if you're late on them, Sippo can fine you. How much is it? Like a fixed money, like two hundred quid yeah. or something straight away. Hmm. And then they 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 pursued that. Like I think it was three hundred ninety nine fines in twenty twenty one that they did. As in, so they're like they're on that. If hmm. you're late, but if you're someone who's you know completely b- breaking the rules, it's, it it goes back to again. And I'm gonna politicise, and you guys can feel free to stay out of this realm if you want. <laughs> but we go back to the we opened with one of the situations whereby a uh, Finnegal, I think he was a minister for state. He'd gone to uh, he'd gone to a position. And they said at the time when he resigned, we'll we'll call him back in. He's going to be called, and then and then they waited for the opprobrium to to, to quell, and then they went. Actually, we've no powers of compelability, no. and that I'm not wrong, am I? No, but it's and it's. I was actually going to say like it's it's kind of the same across SIPO. So I mean, this is not strictly a lobbying thing, mm. but you see in their annual report every year, there's a couple of political parties who are more fringe who. Don't file. They're obliged to file like accounts every year with Sippo and, yeah. and, and 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 get them audited and stuff. And there's parties that don't. And Sippo say this is a you know again a, 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 a fragrant, flagrant, yeah, fragrant. Breach, breach of the rules. And it's the same thing again. We just there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. Again, those those fixed pe- penalties are 
might what be, they can do that's they it might, might be better paying the 200 quid than revealing the sources of your yeah, yeah, um, and but to be fair to Sippo yeah in relation to that like they in their annual reports so they call like they have recommendations you know they mm. have 22 recommendations they've been calling for for since the regulation lobbying act some of them 2019 they had a big review of it 22 recommendations that they want you know more powers mm. that the government just hasn't given them now there's a new there is a bill currently before the doll the amendment bill which will when it passes through I think it has more or less cross party support on that it will bring in uh, that if you're breaching that section 22 that cooling off period mm. if you breach that you will be, be subject to a fine so that's that's coming true but then a load of other stuff in that bill or there's a load of other stuff that isn't in that bill that SIPO have called for that TAI have called for that isn't happening just on the on the, that actual entire going back to SIPO mm. so SIPO themselves they're, they have got a position to adjudicate to make findings they don't have much power to to compel or to enforce and you both refer to them asking for powers reminds me of the DPC all the way by the way I keep saying we need more resources we need more resources and gets told um, no if I was also in power I'd probably be quite happy to have SIPO as the as the thing and I don't know this is to say <sighs> pox on all your houses because whoever comes in you're going to go actually I, I'm quite happy with the status quo despite what maybe I said while I was in opposition or you know because we've seen that across the board particularly when it comes to and this all comes back to it the idea of you know it's topical now so I hate to bring it back up but it is topical now what's happened with the tarnished about to become and, and Sipo voting two people voted to say that we did we do think he maybe has a case to answer it was carried and then everybody just moves on and comments are made saying, I've been, you know, I go back to, I've been exonerated, Your Honour. And that's not really the case. So it's, it's we don't really do that transparency great. Or if we do, we don't, um, the narrative is almost more important than the finding. I think, I think this, it's, it's, it's like almost a problem. I think what you kind of say about the government and not wanting to, you know, invest those powers in it because you're essentially giving power to people to maybe investigate yourself. Like mm. it's it's a, you know, it's a, it's a it's a problem. I think again beyond lobbying or beyond yeah. but like you you look at like say freedom of information legislation, which is like absolutely crying out for reform. Mm. You know, you like do you as you're the government in power? Do you want to be the one who kind of enables more access to information about yourself that's potentially going to get yourself in trouble? It's again, it's 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 quite a cultural thing. It's kind of like that idea of you know no um what is it again like no. Uh, not like organization will ever vote itself out of existence. Exactly. You know, they'll never, they'll never decide to actually say that they're not important anymore. But, like, but this, but this is when we move to the to the other piece around the ju- judicial reviews and stuff that's happened. Um, just for the benefit of listeners, so we we've seen there's this there's obviously this war going on about you know is it a supply issue is it is it you know what's wrong we need to build higher all of this stuff that you see playing out, and one of the things that that goes on there. Is is a again? It's cr- controlling the narrative. But if you recall, one of the recommendations at the back of this, and I, I, I'd like you to go into a bit more detail because you've spoken to the likes of Orla Hegarty and 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 Keno Callahan and other people's. But one of the interesting things, and I want to lead with this, was the findings that they wanted. Ultimately, went was actually we could, it would be great if we could limit the powers of people to 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 take more challenges rather than actually you know. So, so the problem is giving people the option. But Cormac, so just go into the, the, the judicial reviews area, and it is a quagmire. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and you know, from kind of from a report in the article, it's it's just a hard one to get your head around. But more or less, like judicial reviews have shot up in recent years. I haven't got the figures to hand. You probably have them there, Tony. But like they've they've 
they've jumped um, in the last two or three years. They've gone up huge in the amount of cases. So the judicial reviews are, for anyone who doesn't know, they're more or less legal. Uh, they're challenges that are taken to the high court that um, challenge the legality of a public decision, more or less. So they can be they can be taken kind of across society for a load of different reasons. Hmm. Recently, they've jumped up in challenges to the legality of planning decisions. And the reason for this, pretty much, which is kind of accepted by by um, the construction industry and by kind of legal and planning experts and by government, is that strategic housing developments, the legislation then came into effect in 2017, I think yeah. it was. I think it was maybe Coveney or Murphy. Who brought I think them at in. the time, and one of the people we spoke to, um, Fred Logue started tracking them from that point on and he had his own little, you can still dip into it, he has a Google spreadsheet where he he, he was tracking them all the time and I think it's a, one of those shared ones. So. Yeah, he provided us with some of the figures actually hmm. for, for the article. And uh, so the, these were, you know, laws, fast track planning laws that for for big developments of over 100 houses or I think it was 200 beds of student accommodation, they could bypass, you know, that that tricky planning stage with your 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 local authority and go straight to onboard Planala for a decision, as opposed to the old way, which um industry had issues with, where you'd you'd bring it to Dublin City Council, say they'd make a decision that would be appealed and then onboard Planala would have a final decision. This was seen as cumbersome, you know, we're in the middle of a housing crisis mm. as we keep hearing for the past 10 years or whatever it is. Coming up on 12. Yeah. <laughs> So we need to get, we need to build houses now, you know. So yeah. what are we going to do? We're going to bring in these new fast track planning laws. Great. But then the thing that happened is that people, you know, uh, ordinary citizens groups didn't really like being excluded from the planning process. They mm. could make submissions to onboard Panala. But as Orla Hegarty says in that piece, I think, you know, a lot of the, the nitty gritty stuff was already pretty much done. You know, you could, you could lodge your submission, but you couldn't object. Mm. So people then started taking judicial reviews. They said that these were, uh, they, they wanted to ex- exercise their democratic right to, to, to take cases against these. And the, the big thing is, which is the kind of, the sticking point is that these started being really successful. They started yeah. winning. Yeah. They won basically of the, the figures are there that mm. Fred Lowe gives, but of the 40, there's been 95 cases, I think, taken to strategic housing development decisions since mm. the laws came in. Uh, I think maybe there's 47 or so still pending, but of the, the 40 that have been decided, 37 have been successful. I think 36 of those have resulted in the planning permission being quashed. These are for, you're talking hundreds of houses, hundreds of apartments being overturned, you know? Yep. The industry obviously has a huge problem with this. They they see, you know, we need to build houses again. The government, they need to build houses. What Orla Hegarty, what Keen O'Callaghan, what Ona Bryn, what, you know, a load of planning experts will say is that we need to look at these planning laws. And now, to be fair, the strategic house development laws have... Yeah, they're they're done now pretty much. I think they're not accepting any more cases. It's going back to a large residential development. I think it's called LRDs now, mm-hmm. SHDs or LRDs, um, and these large re- they'll 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 bring back in the the two part planning process. But anyway, for the strategic housing developments, um, instead of looking going back and looking at the kind of issues why people are taking them, more or less what they're trying to do. What, what, what the government seem to be doing. They haven't actually announced it yet, but what they, it seems like they might try to do is uh, make it harder to take the cases. It's actually, and again, it comes back to, I don't know if you guys are watching what they did around environmental um, com- appeals as well. And it's a huge part of the same thing. It's, it's exactly in the same ballpark and, and they kept losing those as well, by the way. 
that's you a know? huge thing as well. Like and we've learned nothing from Der- Der- Derry Bryan. Like we've learned nothing yeah. from Derry Bryan. People forget what was the fine? Was it like a million quid a week or something yeah. like that? Is that and still going? Like yeah. that Derry Bryan thing? Like, well, uh, I mean, it's just insane. And yeah. and you're just and they will tell you and they'll say, oh, we need this, and you're going, well, just get it right the first first time and stop burning our money. <laughs> and then that's what like we need, you know. And the AG at the moment is doing this big root and branch. Uh, the Attorney General doing this big root and branch. Like root and branch is such a political term. Yeah. They're doing this huge look at Ireland's planning law. You're a sellout. And consulting. <laughs> root and branch. Yeah, exactly. Not just the branch, St- the root and the branch. Stevie, if if um, the months that have gone into this, and it's months because it's a lot of work. When you when you gaze in, do you do you feel? And again, feel free to tell me it's an unfair question. Do you feel how much of it are we are we catching in terms of lobbying, and how much of it are, are we are, exists in in that other area? I mean, there's there's kind of two answers to that. I mean, this, first of all, there's like this is just what we're seeing. As I said earlier, it's a self reporting system. Yeah. So if I'm saying I'm lobbying, like that's what we're focusing on. I'm sure there's so much going on out there. Mm. I mean, you can you can kind of weigh it up and 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 see like again, there's this kind of grey definition of what is lobbying like like you know one of the one of the people we were talking to kind of suggested that like if i am a like i don't know like a the head of an ngo or mm. i'm a, i'm a, i'm a, within a within a uh, an interest group and i like tweet a minister like is that lobbying is it is it not but there's potentially this like swath of stuff out there that that counts as lobbying that we're not catching but, like i mean there's a bar that needs to be cleared and i would say if you're if you're you know if you're engaged in a social media thing i, I would i'd argue you know it's it's different but there's a there's certainly there's certainly meetings where we've seen informal meetings recorded on one side and not on the other and we need to get very we need to get clarity around those at the very least well i'll give you like i'll give you another example of a piece i was working on before we even started this investigation which was um as a group of uh medics who have informally created this um it's called, they're called the Cannabis Risk Alliance, and they're a kind of, you know, very about keeping the cannabis laws, make it, make it as illegal as possible. They, they wouldn't Me- be welcome in here. No, well, yeah, <laughs> medicinal cannabis is, is, is like a gateway to yeah, yeah. The, the legalization of cannabis laws and stuff. And they have met, uh, with Frank Fien, who's the Minister for Drugs, a couple of times, but under lobbying laws, they don't have a full time employee. So they're not actually counted as a lobbyist. So, I mean, that, for all intents and purposes, under any other definition is lobbying in the legal sense yeah. it is it is absolutely not lobbying but so you you you've got plenty of things going on like like that that again like kind of fall outside so this is what I mean when I say mm. there's there's plenty so much stuff out there that we don't know about in terms of what we do know about and what we have found what we've looked at like we very very specifically were we kind of started off having the net as wide as possible and we spent was it like almost two months on this mm. you know uh two and, we, and 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 we <laughs> could only really focus on former special advisors. We we did kind of capture a couple of other, like, again, like assistant sec gens or sec gens and maybe former ministers or ministers of state. But we kind of very specifically had to focus on special advisors because there's actually so much in it. Mm. You know, it's, as Cormac said, 70,000 odd returns looking at. And some of the special advisors, I want to stress the point, I'm not picking on them, but they're wildly successful. <laughs> They've done brilliant jobs in lobbying in, the, in behalf of clients and to the point where we've seen... You know, uh, and I think it's interesting. And again, maybe, maybe this is maybe this is a poke back at the media. They will then appear on certain areas, and they're and it's not actually clarified that 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 you know the role that they fulfill. 
and again, we didn't think we'd talk about this, but I'm bringing it up. I think there's a huge gap there as well. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting going back to what you said a bit earlier about cons- the difference between consultants and lobbyists. I'm trying to think now, but you mentioned Hume Brophy, Q4PR, these big, they're all PR firms, consultancy firms. It's very rare that you actually hear lobby firms, like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe like something like Construction Industry Federation would be like, I'm a lobby Lucinda, firm. Lucinda Creighton yeah, Vulcan. came at me very hard on the idea that she was a consultant. Mm. To the point where I had to go in and produce the the details to show what constitutes lobbying and send it back to her. And I'm not look, she's, she's listening. Whatever, Lucinda, it's it's lobbying. But she was adamant. I'm a consultant. Yeah, you I mean, know, what, like what's what's the definition of that? What's the definition of public relations? But uh, I, 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 it worries me then because maybe she writes in the Business Post and as in a role as a consultant, it's very difficult to write. I'm writing as a as a as a as a lobbyist, it's kind of a different, it's a different, I do think there's an, there's, there's another well-known uh, person who advocates for nuclear power in Ireland who regularly appears, who is a, a lobbyist, but regularly appears on, on, on panels who doesn't. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point as well, because like you see like Michael McDool writes in the Irish Times every Thursday or so, and like, yeah, yeah. And, like pe- people who are familiar with, I mean, okay, look, there's a certain amount of like, you've got to have your own knowledge from yeah reading, yeah yeah you should, you should you should know but, but, but you but you know that he's you know a senator former yeah uh, press of democrats politician that kind of thing and then as you say like with, with people who are lobbyists i mean like again meet people will know lucinda creighton say but yeah for the for the people who are maybe yeah for a bit further down the chain like yeah you don't necessarily have that information no um, and yeah and like you said about being successful like when you look at the article it, it's just really interesting to see how much of it is going on you know yeah. like how much a special advisor lobbies their former minister like you could have uh, I think in one case you could have a special advisor who worked under a minister for 10 years or mm. something and then they'd leave the job after the cooling off period has expired then they'd be lobbying their minister you know like that that kind of access like the, you can't just separate they can't they, no. you can't ima- you can't pretend that these two people don't know There's each other a, like, it's, it's, it's really, it's really cheesy to say but like a lad goes from you always hear it when they talk about the ex-footballer who goes in the punditry you know what I mean and their stock is only high for a while because they've only got access to the lads that they were playing with for a few years it's likewise with many many people in this world and I know that's it but it's the truth in, in, in the large regard if you if it was your former minister and, and they have influence my god you're you you are you, you were in their phone you exist in their in, in, in their phone and that is that is in itself something but again we're not picking on them we just want to know that it's been transparent it's been clear completely yeah and people know it's happening I think like, I made the point earlier you know I said that it's not like they have a magic fob and they can walk yeah. into Lancer at the same time they want but like yeah you still have that contact yeah. like you know I like I know I, know I had a, I had a working relationship with this person for it might have been six months it might have been a year it might have been ten years but like hmm. you still know that person yeah, I and like, I don't know, what, what do you do about that then though? I guess you make it as transparent as possible. And, you know, again, it's worth saying that the people we're talking about in the article are the people who have self-reported this yes. stuff. You and know, that, there could and, be and a load of people and, and you don't know my, anything and, about. And, and, that know? is a concern. And that is a great concern yeah. to me because we've seen, again, and we, we only know, we don't know anecdotally, we know for a fact that people have not reported and then someone else on the other side has and it's caused the returns to be wrong and then all of a sudden they're running around your investigation has many many people did they have to correct the returns based just just on some of the conversations you guys had was it there was like under 400 returns and yeah i think i think, I think there was about there's about 400 returns it was it was like I think 28 former so what happened was um it, so we're not talking robert troy correcting the record levels here but we're talking no, no. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's just a small thing i mean it was kind of yeah it, it, so if people read the article that they're kind of 
we'll, we'll see what we mean a bit more, but when you're filling out a return, uh, you have to say, like, Tony Groves worked in the Department of yeah. Foreign Affairs as a special advisor and then left and became a, a lobbyist. Broadcaster. And, 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 <laughs> Troublemaker. <laughs> and when you, when you fill out that return, it says any former DPOs hmm. involved in this, in this lobbying, and it will say Tony Groves, Department of Foreign Affairs, or whatever. What we found is it was a couple of hundred entries, a couple of hundred entries. I mean, okay, like it's, it's 70,000 entries, a couple still. of hundred, but like it's still a, like a decent amount. And, and that's what you found. That, 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 and just that's only high level. That's not mm. like TDs or councillors yeah. or anything. Yeah, and Asher, look, you can, we, we, we were, uh, for the listeners' benefit, we were laughing before we came on air about the amount of lobbying that goes on. Firstly, the likes of what we now call active transport. It's, it's just crazy. Yeah, big e-scooter. Like, yeah, there's, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're AI and they're going to take over or something. <laughs> You know? It's just I think it's just what people you know they're obviously it's a it's a growing industry right uh, everywhere every E-mobility. every other major European city they just throw them into the river yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't I don't really want that um, no I, look just just first of all uh, it's great work you've done um, I think it's really important work I'd love to see more people support the work that's been done because it's not easy to to take time out and actually dig into this stuff. I mean, I give it a, a day once a month, maybe. And when I say a day, it's me, it's me sitting with a laptop getting give, given out to saying we're supposed to be watching the film here or something, you know, and it's a lot though to dig into. So it's great work. It should be supported, deserves to be. Think- Do you think you're going to take, go somewhere else with it though? Like, yeah, I mean. Yeah, if if not really approved that, <laughs> but actually, like it's it's great to be able to work on something like that. You know, like you you kind of end up doing so much journalism that you're just like you're you're responding immediately when you have actually two months. You know, that was what two months of work, and I, like it's just the surface. There's way more way more uh, angles to this. Like, there's, mm. you can delve into that. I think we were talking beforehand. You know about. Like when you see a lobbying record, like someone could say, met the minister to, you know, want to change laws. That like that could be that yeah, level yeah. of specificity or mm. specificity. Like you can look into what these people are lobbying about, the old one-two punch of the the FOI of the, the mm. lobbying record. You can go deep on that, go deep on like other uh, former public officials, what they're doing. What else? Like, you know, we talked about loads of different angles we can go, not to give away all our No, all but our I'm just I'm now, just but, thinking like yeah. again, because no one else it's funny, no one else is gonna take a run at it because it's too much bloody work what and we're all too much yeah. reactionary you know yeah. what I mean what I would say is that it's there you know for people yeah. listening like it's not like it's there you know you can go on and it's a bit tricky to get to grips with but then mm. once you do you can see all these lobbying like uh, you can go online I, now and just I, do it I did one I did one just messing around cross-referencing someone uh, uh, there was a company registered by on behalf of a former um, party affiliated member and uh, they so but I tracked the, the company then to, I think it was Matheson. Yeah, I think it was Matheson. And the Matheson went to, uh, uh, oh, well, what is the big legal firm for? Arthur Cox. Arthur yeah, Cox. Yeah. And of course it did. <laughs> you know, and I just thought to myself, God, you, if you could re- literally, if we could get a, a big ball of wool and run it from one office to the other, you'd be looking at just cords and cords and cords running between those, those offices. And that's the reality. But here. this is, I mean, this is again to go back to the, I guess the ideal. Uh, scenario where the lobbying register not fully functions and everything mm. is transparent like that's what it is it shows you all of these mm. connections it shows you who's talking to who and like it's it's kind of funny like it's very very hard like you think of lobbying and people think like again like oh I 
call up the minister and they say, change this law. And the minister goes, yes, sir, Stephen, I'll change that law. Yeah, right yeah. But it doesn't work like that. It's a very kind of soft power. But, exactly. you, can, but you can track it if you, if you, if you just kind of again, keep an eye on it. Or yeah. like Cormac says, it's all there. Just, and go, actually, just go and yeah. have a look. It's right. actually like the register for all our kind of giving out about it. It's actually, it's good. Like it's a pretty powerful system. Like it's user friendly enough. Yeah. Like you can get into it and you can see, mm. you know, again, you can download CSV files of all mm. the, I mean, if that's, if like, that's it, what you're it's into. a bit daunting at first that that's what you're into. Yeah. And, but you can, you can look at it, like you know. So, yeah. From what, like, what else are we going to look into down that, like? Uh, you know, it's just listen, lads. I won't delay any further. Yeah. It's Friday afternoon, and I know you're. I know you're. You've got big plans for the weekend. I really appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to talk to us. Do support the work. Do uh, check out the articles. The links are in this podcast as it's going. Um, and hope to see lots of you in Ballymun next Friday evening. Uh, talk to you all very, very soon. Oh, talk to you a lot sooner than I thought, because obviously, uh. Uh, the Bukal Costello won his seat at appeal and he's promised me 15 minutes so uh, we'll, we'll stick that out as well talk to you all very very soon take care bye bye Tony and Martin Martin and Tony speaking to interesting people only it's the Echo Chamber podcast subscribe now on Patreon